Hey guys, it's Jesse. Last episode, before the episode started, I came on and I asked you to be praying for young adults to come and serve in the Love That Neighborhood summer program, what we call the LTN Intensive. And I just wanted to come back and let you know that we have seen a lot of answer to those prayers. Our program director has had dozens of conversations with both young adults as well as young adult leaders who want to know more about the program. Now, I want us to celebrate that. And also, I would like to also ask you to please continue to pray because we still do have need for more young adults to come and to serve. So I'm actually going to leave space right now. It's just 10 seconds. If you would, wherever you are, Just take 10 seconds to pray for that. Okay, thank you so much for your prayers. We are so grateful and appreciative. And with that being said, on to the episode. Love thy neighborhood. Okay, cool. Oh, definitely. Discipleship and Missions for Modern Times. Hey, Jesse, I'm going to play this clip for you. Okay. My name is Asha. Oh, totally. Asha. Yeah, Asha, she came and served in 2009, and she actually currently lives in Florida with my husband and hound dog and our precious three-year-old little boy. You know, something to know about Asha is that her name in Hindi actually means hope. And, you know, growing up, the word hope really became a big part of her identity. When I was in high school and college, I, like, made it my personality. Like, anything that said hope on it, a picture frame, a journal, wall art, a pen, anything. And people just bought me everything that said hope. Yeah, it was more than just my name. I don't know. It was, it was like, the thing. So, fast forward, Asha is a sophomore in college. And one day, she's at this summer camp. And there are ministry booths lined up for all the college students to visit. And you could go and get to know different programs around the country for, you know, college age young adults. And so Asha, she walks around, maybe gets some free brochures, some pens. She talks to some people. And as she continues walking... I saw this big tent and it had the word hope on it. I'm like, that is for me. (laughs) That's for me. So I made a beeline to the hope tent. She walks up and she sees two younger ladies and also... Jesse. I totally remember this moment. Do you? Like, yeah, I completely have like a vivid memory of Asha coming up and her saying all these things like, my name's Asha and it means hope and I'm obsessed with things related to hope and tell me (laughs) about what you do. And the whole reason that I was there is because before Love Thy Neighborhood was Love Thy Neighborhood, we were actually part of a different ministry, and we were called Hope for Louisville. Mm, Right. Yeah, she said she talked with you and a couple of the other current team members at the time. And in talking with them and figuring out the mission, it just really, really hit home for me. You know, and that's because the mission for Hope for Louisville was actually very personal to her. Because um, my brother... He suffers from addiction and he has experienced homelessness for the majority of his adult life because of his addiction. 
Yeah. You know, at that time, the young adult ministry that I was leading, you know, that eventually became LTN, we only focused on homelessness. It was just all about how do we help young adults build relationships with people who are homeless to bring the gospel into their lives? Yeah. And that would make sense because a ministry that, you know, is all about building relationships with people experiencing homelessness, that would like resonate with Asha because she was trying to figure out how can she have a relationship with her brother? He truly had nothing to his name, not a phone or anything. So we were just at the mercy of any time he would go to the hospital or a detox center for a few days and he could call us. I felt like I had no idea what my brother was going through. I just had no frame of reference for his life. With her brother being out on the streets, she really didn't have much day-to-day contact with him. But she said, like, Jesse, as she heard you talk about, like, the mission, she really wanted to be a part of a program like this. You know, working with homeless individuals and getting to really know that population and help run the day-to-day operations of a shelter. And so for a lot of people, you know, like, working at a homeless shelter would be something they would have to think about, you know, make sure all their ducks are in a row. But for Asha... I was in immediately. I knew that this is something I wanted to be a part of. And here's the thing. Asha was raised in a really lovely and caring and really healthy Christian environment. I asked Jesus to come into my heart when I was very little and I was baptized as a middle schooler. And when I went to college, I feel like my faith really became my own, even more so. You can do anything in college. And, um, and I just knew that what I wanted to do was, was get to know God for myself, for my faith to just really become my own. And this is what we saw in the last episode at the Asbury Revival. Young adults were longing and seeking to know God for themselves. Yeah, but then we also left off with this question of, okay, if I do know God for myself and I have this incredible encounter, what comes after that? What do I do with that? Right. Asha knew that she had received so much love in her life that she really wanted a space and an opportunity to give that back to others. So Asha did end up coming to serve with the ministry. And for Asha, the reason was... I think I just wanted to serve because I just knew that I wanted people to get to know Jesus and that I felt like I had so much love in my life and that I had this opportunity to share all this love that I had. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Anna Tran. Today's episode, The Word Moved Into the Neighborhood. Today, we have three stories of young adults putting relationships first, leaving their old normal behind, to follow Jesus into a world in need. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. Okay, so on the last episode, we covered the Asbury Revival, and it was this big looming question is like, what do you do after you've had this incredible encounter with God? Right. So we don't know what everybody from Asbury is going to go do, but we have some idea of what a lot of Christian young adults do after experiences like that. Yeah. So today we have three stories of young adults who have moved into our city to take what they've experienced to put into practice what it looks like to follow Jesus. Okay, so I'm actually going to kick things off. And so this story is about a young woman named Allie. (laughs) 
So Allie was a college student, and all throughout college, she had heard about the horrors of human trafficking and of the adult entertainment industry. And Allie knew that she really wanted to do something about it. And so as graduation was coming up soon, she began to look for opportunities to go out into the world to help people. So Allie hears about Scarlet Hope, one of our nonprofit partners that serves women in the adult entertainment industry. So Allie moves to Louisville. She begins to serve with Scarlet Hope in their offices. But her internship track in particular included going to take meals to strip clubs and forming friendships with the women who worked there. So here we are on Allie's first night going to a strip club for ministry. She's in a cramped back room filled with girls several years younger than her, and explicitives are flying as common as oxygen. Allie has never been to a strip club and never been backstage at a strip club. So, Allie's first night going into a club. This was surreal. This girl comes in. She's a tall girl. Um, she's built like a swimmer. I mean, just big girl, like very, very toned. She comes in and goes, I need anger management. So I kind of start to walk over there to kind of try to talk to her. And there's like 15 girls in this dressing room that's maybe 10 by 10 feet. I mean, it's tiny. Every explosive you can think of is coming out of her mouth, and she is furious. So at this point, I kind of stop because she's upset, and I don't know her, and I don't know how she's going to feel. I don't know if she's intoxicated or not at this point. I'm just a little wary of it. So she starts saying... I'm going to punch somebody in their face. I'm so sick of this. So this is not exactly the ministry moment that you want to write home to grandma about. Allie was able to at least decipher why the girl was infuriated, but that was about all Allie could do. From best I understood, there was too many girls on the floor and she was on the stage and felt like she wasn't making money on the stage because of all the people on the floor. So for me in that moment, number one, I really did think she was going to hit somebody in the face and I was very close. But also, like the first thing that came to mind was like, I don't know how to make this girl feel better about this because I think it's a problem that this is how she's making money and I don't want to like try to encourage her and be like, well, you still made, you know, such and such money tonight. I mean, it's a very odd situation because you're sitting there like you are so blind that you are in a strip club. This is the only money that you're making and there's these sick guys out there and they're, you know, you you and them might be on drugs right now. But the only thing you can think about is that you didn't think you made enough money that night. So not even a week into her internship, Allie was already at a total loss. This club was no place for her. She had no words of wisdom for these dancers. And besides that, there was no way that she could endure an entire summer of dreading getting punched in the face on a weekly basis. Any negative emotion you can feel, I think I felt that night at that club. So I get back and... I told my teammates I was never going back to the club. I told my teammates that that was awful, that I never wanted to do outreach ever again, that it was awful. Allie came face to face with her limitations. You know, she had stepped out to obey the Great Commission. And what she found was that she was totally inept, inadequate, and failing. And she found herself doubting. To be honest, she really wanted to quit. 
I just felt very helpless. I felt very, you know, what in the world am I supposed to be doing? Like, what? I mean, okay, if you've got somebody that is so blind that they want to be in a strip club, what in the world do you tell them? So I prayed a lot about it and um, cried a lot about it. And it was crazy. Literally three days later, the Lord was like, that's where I want you to go back. And I was like, you have got to be freaking kidding me. And so Allie did. Week after week, Allie continued to go back to the same club and attempt to build relationships with the women that were there. And no surprise, she did not actually end up building a very strong relationship with the woman that was saying she wanted to punch somebody. But she actually did end up making friends with another woman. She was kind of saying she missed church, but she didn't know know where to go because she's really had it rough. She got pregnant when she was 18. Um, when she turned 19, she had the twins, um, and they died a couple days later. And now she's working at a strip club. Her mom doesn't actually know. And so over several visits, Allie continues to get to know this woman. Each time she goes, she's bringing her a warm meal. She's offering to pray for this woman. They're having meaningful conversation. And Allie was actually really feeling like, well, maybe this woman needs to be a part of a church community. Maybe I could invite her to come with me. But the truth is that Allie thought she's probably not going to go for it. So she was like, yeah, I'll go. And I was like, okay. And honestly, I didn't believe her. I figured she was just being polite. So the next Sunday I call her and she doesn't come. And I was like, okay, I expected that. But I'm you know, glad I called her, glad I connected with her. I guess it was the next really Friday. I texted her and said, are you coming? She never responded. So I was like, okay, well, I won't bother her about it again. Obviously, she doesn't want to come. Well, then that Sunday, I get a call from her and she's like, hey, what's the address? My mom and my sister are on the way too. And so this is how Allie found herself standing in a worship service with an exotic dancer and her entire family all worshiping together and hearing the gospel together. It, I mean, it was just such a roller coaster. I mean, to go from feeling like I'm never going to do this again to like standing in sojourn, running around looking for this girl to come to church because I know she's on her way. And Allie's story reminds us that we shouldn't let our doubts stop us from stepping out, from trying to follow God. You know, in Matthew 28, we're told that they worshiped him, but some doubted. And we see how Jesus responds to those doubts. He doesn't kick people off the team. He doesn't say, well, we're going to make you one of the lesser disciples. He gives them the Great Commission, and then he reminds them that he'll be with them always to the end of the age. So, just like Ali, we shouldn't let our doubts and our struggles stop us from sharing the love of Jesus with the world. For our second story, I talked with one of our former summer team members. Hi, my name is Jordan Lee. So Jordan, he's Korean, he's really into making short vlogs, he's a college student, and he has a really sweet and relaxed personality. And he actually came and served with Love Thy Neighborhood in the summer of 2022. After my freshman year. And he was really excited to come serve. Now, LTN team members are paired up to serve with a nonprofit for a few days a week, but they also serve in a different way. 
through what LTN calls neighborhood outreach. Yeah, neighborhood outreach is where our team members practice building relationships with people in the neighborhood, especially serving the community that they live in. Yeah, and it can be as simple as picking up trash around your neighborhood and striking a conversation with people you run into. But for Jordan, even this was intimidating. You talk to strangers, you talk to your neighbors, and it's just something that I'm not used to. And so that's kind of all I imagined. I was like, oh man, it just seems like a lot. And while outreach can be planned, what Jordan found out was that in a lot of ways, just living your regular life can hold a lot of spontaneous moments to reach out to people. Sometimes opportunities just come when you're walking through the neighborhood and you meet someone who might be asking for help. One day, Jordan and his roommates, they actually were running out of some house supplies. We needed some like toilet paper or something. So he and his roommate, they decide to leave to go get some. So the convenience store was like a five minute walk from our house. We kind of were just like, well, it's right there. It'll be super quick. And as they're both walking, there's actually a man coming towards them from the opposite direction on the same sidewalk. He had like a dark gray collared shirt on, baggy jeans, has like a baseball cap. Oh, it was a navy. It was a navy cap. The guy was older, maybe around his late 50s. He had kind of had a gray beard. The man was homeless and had asked them for some money. And while Jordan and his roommate couldn't give him money, instead hey, well, we can get you some food. Then he started walking with us to the convenience store. They started talking and getting to know each other. The man actually shared some heavy things he was going through. He had lost his parents recently. One thing that stood out to me um, was that he said he was just struggling a lot with depression and anxiety, panic attacks. They buy the toilet paper that they need. They end up buying some food and drink for this man. And this whole time, they're having conversation walking around the store. And so I was like, yeah, what's your name? And he said, his name was Tim. And as Jordan and his teammate are leaving the convenience store, they decide to ask Tim if they could pray with him. So right there in front of the convenience store, these two college guys and a guy who was homeless just huddled up and started praying. And I just remember he was really holding on to my hand really tightly, um, just really like squeezing it. So Jordan goes home and he realized that something about the interaction with Tim actually surprised him. I guess it was a bit new for me because not everyone like opens up like that. But Tim was, even just when we met him, was willing to open up. So he kind of stayed in my mind. Oh, so he was expecting Tim to be really closed off. Yeah, he wasn't really expecting the openness that, you know, Tim came forward with. When Jordan first started the summer, he had other interactions with people in the neighborhood who were not as willing to share their lives with him. So he expected Tim to be the same way. But he wasn't. And this really intrigued Jordan. So a few days later, Jordan is sitting on the front porch of his friend's house. It's early July, the sun is starting to get low, and he's actually praying for people he knows, including Tim. And as he's praying for Tim, Jordan feels God prompting him. And all of a sudden, yeah, this thought, this prompting just kind of came into my mind. It's like, you should go visit him. And I was like, what? It's like late at night. I don't know if this is super safe. Tim had told Jordan that he lived in a nearby park called Magnolia Park. Five minutes from our house. And so Jordan's trying to decide, you know, is this like a direction from the Holy Spirit or... 
in the back of my mind, what if it's just me? You know, what if I'm just randomly thinking this? And so in that moment, I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't actually know, but like God's in control. So I'm just going to listen and I'm going to go. So I literally just got off that porch, got my phone GPS for the Magnolia Park. And then I walked there. So by this point, the sun has gone down completely. I walked to the park. It's pitch black and I can't really see anybody. And so I'm like, okay, I guess there's no one here. But then... I saw one guy on a bench and I think he was like smoking. And he seemed really quiet and he had a beard. So I was like, is that Tim? Being unsure of what to do, Jordan just thinks to himself, I think I'm just going to go home. You know, it's dark. It's a little scary out here. But... As he's about to leave, he actually hears someone call his name. And then I turned around and there was him, Tim. He was, he was lying on a bench and, and I was like, oh yeah, Tim. I quickly ran over there and just kind of like knelt next to him. Uh, and I was like, I came for you. I wanted to see you. And he was like, what? Like you came for me? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And so late at night, Jordan sits on the ground and talks with Tim. They got to know each other, and Tim shared very openly about the depression and hopelessness he was feeling in life, and also about faith. He, like, believes in God, but he called himself a backsliding Christian because, like, he just felt like he wasn't living a worthy life, struggling with a lot of sin, a lot of addiction, and and a lot of, like, regret. But, like, he believed in God and, and really wanted to know God. They actually ended up talking for about two hours, Tim just laying there on the bench, Jordan sitting on the ground. Like, you're not always going to feel compassion, but I really felt it so much in that moment. And at some point, Jordan knew he actually needed to get back to his house. So he stands up and he starts heading back. And then I like went the wrong direction. (laughs) I started walking back to retrace my steps. And then there I saw him and he was like, Jordan, like, that's the wrong way. It's like, let me lead you back. So at around midnight, Tim leads Jordan back home. <laughs> I love this image of like this like young college student sort of being led through the night by, you know, this guy he just met who's homeless. Yeah, it can seem kind of odd, but this is what happened. And so Jordan gets home, he goes to sleep. And here's the thing, even he admits that this was out of character for him. Yeah, maybe that was not wise. I was so impulsive and I just like did it. So, like, in retrospect, Jordan realized he was actually sliding past a lot of our program I know, roles. yeah. I'm sitting here going, like, oh, my gosh, he's breaking so many yeah. of our safety protocols in this situation. I know, but, like, in the moment, he's like, I only have this one thing in mind. I, like, need to find Tim. Yeah, and I, like, I want to appreciate it, but I'm also like, Jordan, you know that we don't let people go out by themselves after dark. Yeah, I know. I mean, I trekked with our program director, and she told me that, like, she learned about it pretty fast and had a good handle on it. Well, at least that's a relief. Yeah. Right. Okay, so in the coming days, Jordan's actually thinking about Tim a lot. How can I make his situation better? What's going to happen next um, from this relationship? Jordan really wants to help Tim and see him have a healthier life. Jordan was still aware that Tim had an active drug addiction. But throughout the weeks that followed, he would still go back to Magnolia Park just to sit and talk with Tim. So if it feels like a Thursday evening, which is when our outreach time would be, I would go see if I can find him and be with him. And as they talked, Jordan started noticing that Tim would talk about the same things repeatedly, like the depression he was going through, like the pain in his legs. 
And it was hard to listen to just like over and over. As much as he wanted to love Tim and spend time with him, it was actually pretty tiring for Jordan. In each conversation, there's always that like tension of like, how long do I spend with him? But Jordan pushed through. You know, week after week, he'd visit the park to talk with Tim. And then again, visit the park, talk with Tim. And even though the conversations were repetitive, it didn't keep him from what he ultimately wanted for Tim. The main way I wanted to help him was like, okay, I I really want to convince him to get into a recovery program or even just help him get there. So it's around mid-July and Jordan has made it his goal. He wants to try to help Tim into an addiction recovery program. But the problem Jordan learned was that Tim? I think he just has a big fear of like shelters or just programs. Um, Will he be safe there? Jordan knew that it wasn't something he could ever force Tim to do. And he empathized with Tim's fears and hesitations. After getting connected to a local addiction recovery program, Jordan finally got up the nerve and floated the idea by Tim. Just trying to encourage him, like, hey, we're not like committing to anything right now. Knowing Tim was reluctant to meet with people, Jordan actually arranged for the organization to come to the park and meet with him and Tim. I was kind of lingering around that area for a while and just waiting for a call from them. Uh, I was uncertain when they would come, so I was definitely anxious that day. Understandably, Tim was pretty nervous and apprehensive as well. And as he was waiting with Jordan, he'd go back and forth between wanting to meet the people from the addiction recovery program or not. He was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do this. And, you know, he would, he would try to leave, but then he would change his mind later. And he's like, okay, no, I'll stay. I mean, eventually, like, the car did come. A couple people, they came out of the car and had Tim fill out some digital paperwork with some questions. Like his addiction and just other, like, formal things, too. Like, you know, what's your name? Like, what's your birthday? All that stuff. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll get back to you and we'll let you know what happens. So the program, they give Tim a heads up that it's going to take a few days to process his paperwork. But in the meantime, they would also be willing to give him a place to stay for the night. But Tim decided not to take them up on their offer for shelter that night. And now all that Jordan can do is wait to see what happens with Tim's paperwork. In that waiting period, I was just like praying that like something would work out. Even though Jordan had seen homeless people before, this was actually very different. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about the fact that he's like 20 years old and probably like doesn't have like all this extensive experience with people who are struggling with homelessness and addiction. And my whole life I would like pass them on the streets and, you know, I would always try, try to say hi. But I just always felt like I don't know what to do. And I think this is really important to point out. Jordan goes from only seeing people who are homeless and not interacting with them to actually having a friend who is homeless. Tim had become a consistent relationship in Jordan's life. And so, yeah, like, obviously, one of his biggest hopes is for Tim to get into a recovery program. But another big hope is that he really wants to have Tim come to church with him. So I would ask him that, like, kind of every time I would meet him, I would say, hey, do you want to go to church this Sunday with me? Jordan asked this week after week. Week three, week four, five, six. And week after week, Tim would politely turn him down. But on the seventh week, that changed. It was a Saturday night, and the two guys were hanging out as they had been for almost two months, when suddenly, Tim very casually asks Jordan if he could go to church with him the next morning. And I was like, okay, I'll like pick you up Sunday morning, or just like walk with you there. 
So it's Sunday morning and Jordan heads over to the park, but Jordan can't find Tim anywhere. But then... And then I remember like he said that a lot of times he would go to the front porch of his parents' old house and, and stay there. And this house is like all boarded up too. Like inside is just completely, there's like nothing there. And Jordan knew where to look because Tim had mentioned the street in a previous conversation. And so I would just literally just keep my eyes open as I walked through the neighborhood to find him. And then I found him on the, on the, on the porch and he was like kind of sleeping, just lying there on the, on the porch. Jordan could tell that Tim was feeling really low and he sensed that he didn't really want to be around people. He did say like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'll be going to church with you. And so I was like pretty discouraged. I was like, like, you know, I, <laughs> I planned my, you know, my Sunday to do this and came here to all the way here to see you and bring you to church. And it's like, come on, man. I mean, I can really sympathize. Jordan's moved his schedule around, you know, in order to meet Tim. He's been spending weeks with them. Like, hey, man, I'm just asking you this one thing. And you said yes. But then on the other side, like homelessness is just brutal, you know, physically and mentally. And like church is probably not a big priority for Tim, who basically feels like he's surviving. Right. Who has time to go to church when I don't even know where I'm going to sleep the next night? Eventually, because the service is about to start, Jordan, he gets up and he starts to leave, walking in the direction of the church. And then... Five to ten minutes as I'm walking there, I hear this like faint like voice calling out my name. And I look back and Tim is running. <laughs> He's like been running. And I have a headphones on, so like I, I didn't hear it this whole time, but like he's just running and he's calling my name. It's like Jordan, like I want to go to church. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. And although Tim was still pretty afraid to go in, he was like, no, let's do it. So that Sunday, a young college student and a 50-year-old homeless man walked into church together that morning. I actually sat right behind them you on did. that Sunday. I did. And it was quite a scene. I mean, so you had you had Jordan, who's this like young Asian guy, and then you had Tim, who's an old white guy, and then you had Jordan's teammate, who's a young African guy. And at like one point during the closing worship song, Tim like suddenly reaches his arms around both of these guys and pulls them in close. <laughs> he starts patting them on the shoulders wow. and they're swaying back and forth. And, and it was just beautiful it was this preview of heaven and so that was yeah just like a joyful joyful day but here's the deal for somebody who's experiencing homelessness and addiction just attending a church service isn't really going to fix any of that they need a lot more help so when we come back tim has a decision to make stay with us Hey, this is Anna. I'm the program director for Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood is all about taking a step back from your day-to-day life and figuring out what it looks like to live like Jesus today in the city. Bring life and beauty into the community by serving the vulnerable and the poor. Live and work alongside other like-minded Christians and grow in your faith as you learn what it means to walk in the life and lifestyle of Jesus. Here's what some of our alumni have experienced. Allie Beth said that 
Through LTN, I have gained a clearer idea of how to better partner with the existing organizations in my area in order to support what they are doing to love their neighbors and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you trying to figure out what you want to do with your summer? If you're feeling restless and longing to connect and serve with other Christians, come serve with us at Love Thy Neighborhood this summer. April 7th is the final deadline for our summer intensive and it's coming up fast. We want to walk with you and help you flourish as you faithfully pursue Jesus. Learn more about the summer intensive and apply before April 7th at lovethyneighborhood.org. Again, apply before April 7th at lovethyneighborhood.org. Love That Neighborhood podcast, Jesse Eubanks. Anna Tran. Today's episode, The Word Moved Into the Neighborhood. Producer Anna Tran has been telling the story of LTN team member Jordan Lee, who's a young adult, and he has befriended a 50-year-old guy who's homeless named Tim. And Tim has just gone to church with Jordan for the very first time. It was an incredible moment where they worship God together, but Anna left us on a cliffhanger when she said Tim has a decision to make. So what happens next? Yeah, so after church, Jordan and Tim, they had lunch together. Jordan bought Tim a meal, and they did what they usually did. They talked. Not long after going to church, Tim actually gets accepted into a recovery program. Called Corner of Hope. And so Jordan goes and sees Tim. He tells him that he's been accepted, but Tim was still unsure if he wanted to take the next step. A few days pass, and... He kind of said, like, I don't want to keep living like on the streets, and it's like dangerous um, out here. I just didn't feel safe, and he's like, I want to be safe. Then finally one evening, I see him, and he's like, Jordan, I want to do this. I want to do this recovery program. And Jordan didn't really expect for this to happen. So when Tim said yes, Jordan immediately wanted to take action. And so I was like, okay, well, let's, let's, I can give them a call for you. Okay, another layer to this is that Tim had a friend in the park named Mike, who Tim had mentioned the recovery program to, and who was also ready to get off the streets. He like was pretty certain about doing this recovery program more than Tim. And so we went back to the park to find Mike and let him know like, hey, we're gonna go make this call to the, to the ministry and then we're gonna see what we can do. So Jordan, he makes the call and... They can't like pick them up like at that night because it's a bit late but they can meet at a certain time the next afternoon. At this point, Jordan is feeling pretty concerned because he doesn't want Tim to change his mind if he has to wait till the next day. He hangs up the phone, and as he's thinking about what to do next... Mike asks to use one of Tim's cigarettes, and then Tim kind of snaps. Uh, snaps like what? Like, what is going on? Okay, so here's another thing you need to know about Tim, is that... Tim was often afraid of people taking advantage of him because... You know, he'd just be giving and giving, like giving cigarettes or giving money, um, and like no, no one would really repay him. And so they started like arguing and cursing each other out. And I was just like, what is happening right now? Like things are so fine. A couple seconds ago, Tim's angry. And then he just kind of says like, you know what? I don't want to do this like program anymore. Screw this. And I was like, ah. Oh. Dang it. (laughs) I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Like, this is so unfortunate. 
Mike walks away and then I'm just sitting next to Tim and I'm just praying at this point. Like, there's not really much I can do. And honestly, there really isn't much he can do. But like almost as quickly as the fight had started, Mike comes back and Tim... He like apologized to Mike and and literally uh, probably like five minutes after the argument, they make up. (laughs) So Jordan goes home for the night and the next afternoon, all three of them are waiting in the park and the recovery program car rolls in. Tim and Mike are there and they're they're waiting and I'm there and I'm just I'm just so happy (laughs) that it's like all happening. The people from the program are talking through what the next steps will be like for Tim and Mike. And then we get we all get in the van. And I'm with them as well, because I just want to be there to support. So this seems like the perfect place to end, right? Like Tim and Mike recover, they and Jordan are all glad together. But the story doesn't end there. No, I want the story to end here. I want the happy ending with the bow. <laughs> I want everything to resolve so that I can put my head on my yeah. pillow tonight and feel at peace. That would make sense, you know? So a few days have passed since Tim and Mike have checked into the recovery program. And at this point, Jordan hasn't had any contact with them. And then one night... I'm driving back from my service site and I see Tim and Mike and they're walking in the neighborhood. This catches Jordan off guard. He's confused. Like, why would they be walking around if they only got into the recovery program a couple days ago? So when Jordan got home... Just kind of sat on the couch for a little bit, just like... What is happening? Like, I just, the immediate thought was like, did they leave the program already? A bunch of thoughts and questions started moving through his head. Dang, like, did, was that like, really like wrong of him? Like, should I be angry? Part of him felt anger, but at the same time. But I don't want to feel anger because like, I have to understand where he's coming from. So it's taken Jordan a couple days to process this. But once he does come to the realization that he doesn't want to let his anger take over him. I'm really, yeah, just like praying, like, hey, I, I kind of came to the conclusion I want to treat him the same. And I don't want to come to them with like anger and be like, yo, why'd you leave? But I, I just wanted to at least let him know I still loved him. Um, and I'm still going to like walk with him and meet him where he's at. And so Jordan returns to the park to see if Tim's there. And he is. They talk, and Jordan learns a little bit about why Tim left the program. He couldn't really just go anywhere he wanted. They put a quote on, like, cigarette usage as well. And so I think just restrictions were hard for him. At this point, Jordan said that this was one of the last times he had contact with Tim. And Jordan is feeling pretty conflicted. His feelings of, like, anger and bitterness haven't all gone away towards Tim. It didn't really like seem that he kind of acknowledged like what I kind of had to go through to make sure like we could get the connections for him to go and all that. But then something else happens that makes Jordan confront his bitterness. Well, what what happened? Well, the last week of his time in Louisville. Guy, okay, I got COVID. <laughs> but here's what happens. So Jordan gets quarantined. Obviously, he's by himself without his teammates, and he does what a lot of people do. He watches a bunch of movies and just tries to relax. But he said that was actually a distraction from the feelings that he was processing related to Tim. I felt like for me, I was just literally numbing my emotions because I didn't really know how to deal with it. 
I didn't feel right that I felt a little bit of bitterness. Didn't feel right that I felt a little bit angry at God. And so during the middle of his quarantine time, he takes time to intentionally pray and journal. I realized that a lot of times we try to reach a certain outcome. We want to help someone and get him to a certain place, get a certain result. Jordan was starting to realize that his goals of helping Tim get into the recovery program and inviting him to church, those things were good and important. But the most important thing is just loving people the way that God loves them and just like seeing them the way that God sees them. It's not so much about doing something. God sees people with sacrificial love and he sees people where he kind of sees their intrinsic worth. What was most important about my relationship with Tim was just treating Tim as like a, a precious human being. You know, a lot of times throughout our relationship, he'd always ask me like, why are you here? Like, why are you taking this time to be with me? And the answer is because you're worth it. Jordan realized that even though the recovery program didn't work out for Tim, it was still worth it for Jordan to give his time to Tim, to hear his story and to treat him with dignity and care. And so after Jordan's quarantine was done, he only had a few days left in Louisville. And he decides to spend some of that time going back to Magnolia Park to visit Tim. And I went and found him and just like, hey, <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> um, just like simple things like that. Like not everything has to necessarily completely solve the, you know, the problem that someone's going through, but it's like you can still be present with someone. For our last story, something that came to mind was the story about Daisy and Jamesia from episode number eight, where the gospel meets neighboring. Oh, yeah, totally. I remember this. Yeah, Daisy served with us for a year. You know, when I think about neighboring, I think about like how awkward it can be at times and unusual, but it can also lead to really beautiful results. Yeah, and Daisy's story really embodies the reality of how neighboring relationships take time, intentionality, and persistence. So, here's Daisy and Jamesia's story from episode number eight, where the gospel meets neighboring. So, our team members at Love Thy Neighborhood actually experience this all the time. They come to love their neighbors, but it ends up never quite being what they expected. And this was certainly true for team member Daisy Cooper. Daisy came to serve for a summer with Love That Neighborhood, and as part of their time in their neighborhood, they begin to invest in the life of their neighbors. They begin to get to know them, reach out to them. So Daisy, who had come to serve with us, she and her other teammates, they got to work right away, thinking of ways that they could get to know and connect with their neighbors. Go play with neighbors in the park. Be inviting someone over, sitting on your porch, whatever you want it to look like, which is the good thing. and. Made it a little easier in theory. Yeah, easy in theory, not so easy in practice. All summer, Daisy tried to do the same things that Nathan had done in his neighborhood. She smiled, she introduced herself, she waved to neighbors when she saw them. But for Daisy, loving her neighbors wasn't going to be as easy as that. Me and my roommate uh, made cookies and took them around to some neighbors, wrote a nice note, and no one opened the door. Like people would peek out the little blind, but not open their door. 
And we would see their TV on because their front door is open, but they're not coming and answering. So we just laid them on the doorstep. So Daisy came up with a plan B. She started spending a lot of time at the local park. And she went there because it was summertime and there's always people hanging around at the park. Except that every time Daisy went to meet people, no one was there. It wasn't like she wasn't trying. She just couldn't connect with anybody. It was discouraging because, like, we come here to love on our neighbors and I didn't meet a single neighbor. Despite the discouragement of not meeting any of her neighbors, Daisy decided to turn her summer term into a year-long term. She wanted to continue to serve at her service site and live in Christian community. But of course, the thing that she was not looking forward to was neighboring. Didn't want to do that part at all. It didn't happen in the summer. What makes you think it's going to happen for a year living in the same place? Well, even though Daisy's not excited about neighboring, she gets a new group of teammates, and they are excited. So the first weekend they're all together, they're discussing what they can do to try to meet people in the neighborhood. And her teammates come up with this great idea. Let's all go to the park. And I'm thinking, guys, it didn't work in the summer. It's not going to work now. Going to the park is what Daisy had done all summer. She knew from experience it's not going to work. So when her teammates leave for the park, Daisy decides to stay home. After a couple of hours of being home by herself, she goes outside to see if her teammates have had any success. She spots them inside the community center in the middle of the park. But Daisy doesn't want to go inside because she still thinks this whole idea of meeting neighbors, it's pointless. So she sits down outside the door and waits for her teammates to come out. And while she's waiting, a lady walks out of the community center. There's this pregnant lady who is waddling. And her kid is like running circles around her. And I can tell she is not having it. She wants to sit down. He wants to throw a ball. So this lady comes out and she's pregnant and she's got her son running all around her. He's probably about two years old. And Daisy's sitting there and she's got this instinct inside of her that says she could go and she could help this woman. But she also knows it's not going to make a difference because it never has before. And so she sits there for 15 minutes. And then she just can't take it anymore. She's got to go help this woman. And then I go over to her and I'm like, hey, do you want me to play with your son? Like, is that okay? And I'm expecting her to be like, no, you're a stranger. Get away from me and my son. And what does this woman say? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. And I was shocked. So Daisy throws a ball around with the little boy. And she learns that the woman's name is Jamesia. My first impression of Daisy... I just actually thought like she was just somebody in the neighborhood. She was like, do you mind if I play with your son? And I'm like, oh, yes, take him off my hands. Like I got this huge belly. I would love to sit down for a second. Daisy's teammates eventually come over and they also start playing with the little boy. So as her teammates are playing with the little boy, Daisy walks over and sits down with Jamesia. She learns that Jamesia is a single mom. She's in her third trimester of pregnancy and she moved here a year ago with her son, Kobe. I was miserable, stressed out, thought I would never like get anywhere and stuff. Um, At the time I was pregnant and had Kobe, so I couldn't work. I was like really struggling. So it was very like stressful and miserable for me. So they're really enjoying their conversation with each other. Daisy's really excited because she's finally met a neighbor. Jamesia's excited because she's got people playing with her kid. And so they exchange phone numbers. And then suddenly a rain shower happens. It started raining. So we just like literally ran home. 
She's like struggling. Seven months pregnant, she can't run. So they part ways and each go home. And Daisy figured she probably wouldn't see Jamesia again, that this was just some random meeting. It was strange that I never saw her my whole summer because she lived like two blocks from us. We always went to the park. She said she always went to the park. But no, it's really weird. But Jamesia was really curious about these people. Actually, I was hoping to run into them again after she talked to me about how much they they were involved into the community. Because I just, they just seems to be so happy, you know, and just calm about things. Now, remember, when Daisy and Jamesia met at the park, they exchanged phone numbers. And Jamesia is the only neighbor that Daisy has gotten to know. And so Daisy starts texting Jamesia often, asking her if she wants to come over, asking her if she wants to go to church, asking if she wants to meet up for dinner, uh, wanting to spend time together. And it's just hard for Jamesia. Jamesia is a single mom with a baby on the way. And so Daisy starts asking herself, you know, if I were in Jamesia's shoes, what would I want right now? And so she decides to throw Jamesia a baby shower. She was seven months pregnant when we met her and, and she didn't have things for this baby. So Daisy gets on Facebook and starts asking her friends to donate things and help throw this shower. And her teammates, they start doing the same thing. And it was really awesome also to see my roommates just come behind that idea because for six people who've never had a baby to like throw a baby shower, we're like, yeah, that's crazy. People donated tons of stuff from baby clothes to a bouncer, um, food for the party, decorations for the party. Um, they came to our party. And because Jamesia didn't really have friends to invite to the shower, Daisy just invited some of her own friends. It was a bit strange asking people to come to a stranger's baby shower, but they did. And some of the strangers that came to that shower, Jamesia's friends with some of them now. Here's Jamesia remembering the shower. It was amazing. They brought lots of gifts. Can't say that, so I went home with a lot of stuff that I was not expecting. <laughs> After that, I just felt happy and joyful, you know, just excited, like, yay, I have friends now. That baby shower ended up being a turning point for Daisy and Jamesia. After the baby shower and after seeing that Daisy was committed to be a part of her life, Jamesia accepted her invitation to go to church. And she started going to church every week. And then to Daisy's community group, which is a small, more intimate gathering of people from her church. A few months later, Jamesia's baby was born. Daisy and her teammates would often babysit for Jamesia so she could go to community group, so she could look for a job, and even so she could attend a baptism class at church. And on the Sunday of her baptism, during her testimony, there is one person she specifically mentions by name. Here's a clip of someone reading Jamesia's testimony at her baptism service. I got pregnant again, and that's when I broke, and I cried out to God. I prayed, and I asked God for help. But more than that, I needed redemption. He then placed Daisy Cooper into my life. Daisy became my friend and introduced me to Sojourn, where God really started revealing himself to me and molding my heart. He gave me clarity on what his word meant when he says, I am your stronghold. My faith began to grow more and more because I believe, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3, that my story is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Amen. Amen. So when I heard my name, I froze, but just like everything in me stopped moving. 
And I just like started crying, just broke down crying. I just didn't expect to be in her story, her testimony by name. It It was real that I was a part of someone's story. So Daisy's finished her time with Love That Neighborhood and she still lives in the neighborhood where she served. And she doesn't have any neighborhood requirements anymore or any outreach hours she has to meet, but she still sees Jamesia all the time because they're friends now. I see her probably twice, no, three times a week. We probably talk every other day. And it's funny to see how that's changed because at first she wasn't even responding or we weren't talking not even once a week and together like to every other day. It says a lot about our friendship now. I would say thank you for being a huge blessing in my life. I just really appreciate everything that you do and have ever done for my kids and I. You're amazing and we love you. Here's what I love about all of these stories. You know, ever since we launched LTN, like one of our mottos that we always say, and we've said it on this podcast a thousand times, is that relationships change lives. Like the gospel comes alive through relationships. The beauty of who Jesus is comes alive in relationships. Like, and these stories illustrate that, you know, these young adults coming and going, I'm going to choose over and over again to prioritize these people that so often society overlooks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I even remember when I came into the program in 2017, it really gave me like a vision and like an invitation to participate in like what God is doing in the neighborhoods around me. The other thing I would say is this is like, there's so much going on in young adult culture right now with uh, young adults having record high anxiety, record high you know, apprehension to step into things. And I think that these young adults really model what courageous faith looks like to say, I'm not just going to sing about following Jesus. I'm actually going to go out and do it. And if that means that he's calling me into my discomfort zone, I'm going to go do that. And what they found out is that it's actually a much more beautiful experience than the life that they were living. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our interviewees, Asha Juno, Ali Holcomb, Jordan Lee, Daisy Cooper, and Jamesia Denise. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. This episode was written by Jesse Eubanks, Rachel Akers, and Anna Tran. Editing by Rachel Akers and Anna Tran. Music for this episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Pottington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer summer and year-long missions internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Bring social change with the gospel by working with an innovative nonprofit and serving your urban neighbors. Experience community like never before as you live and do ministry with other Christian young adults. Grow in your faith by walking in the life and lifestyle of Jesus and being part of a vibrant, healthy church. Apply now at lovethyneighborhood.org.
Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. 